Welcome to the Howie Silberger Purim Special. Well, we were going to take a look at Purim. We are just uh, celebrating Purim. And uh, Purim is an important Jewish holiday, something that we should take part in, something we should be uh, excited about. Uh, many people describe Purim as a holiday, as the Jewish Halloween. That is not at all what Purim is. In fact, Purim is the opposite of Halloween. On Halloween, uh, people celebrate death. It's a pagan holiday. People celebrate death and destruction. They, uh, they glorify uh, mummies and, and, and dead people. In Purim, we don't do that. In Purim, we celebrate life and Jewish survival. It is a, is another holiday, and another one of my favorite holidays, where we celebrate the survival of the Jewish people. Yes, an enemy had come and tried to destroy the Jews. And yes, we prevailed, and we beat the enemy, and we still survive. It is a, it is a holiday of rejuvenation, a holiday that we should be proud of. A holiday that we should say, thank God we have this holiday. Thank God we survived. Thank God we are here. Uh, do, do, do we dress up on Purim? Of course we do. And that might be why people might think that Purim and Halloween are the same. But they're really not. Not even close to being the same. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Purim Special. Well, we're going to talk about the themes of Purim. We're going to talk about the themes of Judaism. We're going to try to bring it to home, to where we are now, and um, and and why Purim is relevant today, as as relevant today as it was um, as it was when, uh, when when Purim was first initiated thousands and thousands of years ago. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to look. At, uh, at Purim and try to understand uh, why we should be commemorating Purim today and why Purim is an important holiday to remember. Uh, we're going to do that and a whole lot more right here on the Howie Silberger Purim special. I'm Howie Silberger. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, more about Purim right here on the Howie Silberger Purim special. I hope that you uh, stick around, and we'll see you in just a couple of minutes. News that the forks and knives and spoons and vessels that you used were holy ruse to trick me to eat off of them, and the senses made the tempting you would rejoice so well when your blackboard telling us our time had ended you, thinking there's another plan. Told her to come now, but Vashti wouldn't go. A beauty show, a beauty show. Someday she'll be living in the Persian city. That's when you know she's gonna be the queen. Someday she'll be begging on behalf of our country. That's when you. She's gonna be the queen Well, she's gonna be your queen News of them switching sides In a wicked plot and a planned assassination I reported it and foiled them In the royal book was written I won't, will not bow down A my legs back Cause of Saul's compassion I think he'll 
want to destroy again A date he had pulled out Decreed they'd kill us all So in sackcloth I sat down This is why you're on the throne Now you must go, now you must go Someday she'll be living in the Persian city That's when you know she's gonna be That's when you know she's gonna be the queen Well, she's gonna be your queen And that tree he planted right in his yard Took him over to end this game Now let's all give our things Cause now she is the queen Now she is the queen Please sire, be sympathetic On the throne of life The queen, the queen, the queen, the queen Someday she'll be Living in the Persian city That's when you know she's gonna be the queen Yeah! Someday she'll be Winning a contest of beauty That's when you know she's gonna be the queen Well, she's gotta be yours someday She'll be Living in the Persian city And you know she's gonna be the queen She's gotta be yours someday She'll be winning the contest of well, beauty she's gonna be yours And you know she's gonna be the queen Well, she's gonna be the queen And welcome back to the Howie Silberger Purim Special, where we talk about Purim, and we understand, or try to understand at least, why Jews commemorate Purim, why do we celebrate this holiday. So, when we look at Purim, and we look at Jewish survival, well, what is the story of Purim? The story of Purim is that a minister in a government uh, got up and said that the Jewish people didn't support the king. And that the Jewish people should be destroyed for their lack of support and lack of, uh, and, and lack of liking of the king and the king's rule. And that the Jews refused to bow to the king's servant. This was the big Jewish transgression in Purim. And so the, the man, Haman, decided that it's time to murder the Jews. And through a little bit of trickery, actually it was a lot of trickery, the Jewish people managed to survive. Two people, uh, Mordechai and Esther, uh, took it upon themselves to challenge the viceroy and Esther, the king, and they survived. 
and the Jewish people were able to live and weren't murdered. Instead, instead of Jewish people being hung, Haman and his sons were hung on the gallows that were built to hang the Jewish people. It is a wonderful story. Whether it is true or not, I don't care. I mean, I know a lot of people argue, well, you know, these are just myths. Well, I really don't care if they're myths or if they're true. It's irrelevant. It is a story of Jewish survival, and Jewish survival is what I care about. And, uh, and, and the story of Jewish survival uh, has been passed down over thousands and thousands of years. And it is very important that we remember that no matter what obstacles are thrown in front of the Jewish people, no matter how many times we have to get up and fight back, the Jewish people survive. And in order to remind us of that, uh, every year around, um, around this time of year, in fact, exactly this time of year, we read uh, from, from a portion of the Torah called Zachor, which is remember. And, and what we read is we read the story of, um, well, we read the commandment of Amalek. And to remember what Amalek did to the Jewish people on the way out of Egypt. So who was Amalek and, and what happened here? So on, on, the, on the Saturday that precedes Purim, on the Shabbat that precedes Purim, uh, two Torah scrolls are taken from the Ark, one for the regular Parsha and one for the Maftir, so one for the regular uh, reading and one for the after reading. And, and we read this, the words, remember what Amalek did to you. Uh, the, the Shabbat is called uh, the Remembered Shabbat, Shabbat Zachor. And the after reading also deals with Amalek. Now, there is a mitzvah, good deed in the Torah, to remember Amalek and his descendants and to orally recall their iniquity. We are to tell our children in every generation what the people of Amalek did to us during our departure from Egypt. The, uh, the mitzvah, the good deed, will be fulfilled completely only when we shall have caused Amalek's memory to perish and his name to be erased from the world together with the slightest remnant of anything that bears his name. For as the Torah says, remember what Amalek did to you on your way, on the way, upon your departure from Egypt. You shall erase the memory of Amalek from beneath the heavens. You shall not forget, upon which the sages have expounded, remember orally, you shall not forget in your heart. To probably fulfill this commandment, the sages have prescribed a public reading of this passage from a Torah scroll once every year on the Shabbos which precedes Purim so that the wiping out of Amalek might be adjacent to wiping out of Haman, the latter being a descendant of Amalek. So Haman was a descendant of Amalek, and the way we wipe out Amalek's name, and we, and we want to blot it out from the earth, we want to do the same thing with Haman. And this is why when Haman's name is read, when, when, when Jews go and hear the scroll of Esther, and we hear the scroll of Esther twice during Purim, when Jews go to the synagogue or, or wherever they go to hear the reciting of the scroll of Esther, Every time Haman's name is mentioned, we make tons of noise. We blot out his name. His name shall never be, be glorified. It should always be blotted out. And, and Jew haters and Jew killers should never be glorified. Now, some authority, some religious authority says that if one fails to hear the, the, the uh, passage of, of remembrance, the Parshat Zakor, he, he fulfills his obligation through hearing the prescribed Torah reading on Purim. And Amalek came. So a, a boy who is not yet of bar mitzvah age, so a boy who is under 13, uh, could not be called to the Torah, uh, nor should he read the, the Torah for others. He's a free of the obligation of the mitzvah, so he, 
can enable others to fulfill that obligation, which is um, which is interesting uh, in itself. So uh, so we 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 blot out the name of Amalek, and we blot out the name of Haman, only because we believe that Jew haters should not be glorified. That people who go to destroy the Jewish people should not be glorified. What I find really interesting, though, in the, in this whole thing, is that we don't blot out the name of Hitler. That Hitler it was was the modern day Haman. He uh, he actually carried forth and went through with his his plan to destroy the Jewish people. He didn't succeed, but he went through and he tried, and he was probably the most successful guy in trying to destroy the uh, Jewish people. In fact, he destroyed most of European Jewry. And so one has to wonder why the Jewish people have not decided that every time Hitler's name is mentioned, that uh, we shouldn't make noise and blot out his name. Uh, we, we do it for historical people, people who tried to kill Jews thousands and thousands of years ago. But we don't do it for the modern day guy who tried to kill the Jewish people. And that I find uh, ironically, ironically um, interesting. I think that we should. We should blot out Hitler's name. I think that by not blotting out Hitler's name, we are glorifying his memory. We are saying, yes, it is, uh, it is true. Hitler tried to destroy us. And it is true that we don't take it so personally that we, we, we want to destroy his name and we want to blot out all his memories. And that's wrong. So I'm proposing right here on the show, and I will continue proposing as I do a lot of times on the show that we should take Hitler's name and every time it's mentioned, and I know I've mentioned it a few times in this, in this little rant, but every time Hitler's name is mentioned, we should make noise and blot out his name because by blotting out his name, we are saying that Hitler is just as bad as a Malik who, who tried to destroy the Jewish people in the desert as they were fleeing Egypt. By blotting out his name, we are saying that Hitler is just as bad as Haman who hatched a plot to destroy the Jewish people and failed. And we, 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 we have to make that comparison. Now, I know, I know. I know there are people who have made the comparison between Hitler and Haman before. I know there's this, uh, there's this whole thing about dates and, uh, and numbers, and, and that has connected Hitler and Haman. But at the same time, uh, if we're going to connect one and the other, then maybe we should, we should treat one just like we treat the other. I mean, that's my humble opinion. And, um, and, and, and that's what I think. Uh, excuse me for those who are watching, but um, I have a little bit of a cold. And no, it's not coronavirus. It's just a little cold. And, uh, and so I wipe my nose. Uh, and and my, I'm on camera. So, so wiping my nose is not really uh, the overly professional thing to do. So I apologize for those people who are watching, but that, such is life. Uh, the Howie Silberger Purim Special uh, is also uh, aired on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. Well, not Instagram, but Facebook, Twitter, and um, it's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, airs the the Purim special. It airs all my shows: the Howie Silberger Show, Political Hitman, and everything else I do uh, when it comes to radio. We we do a video version of it, and it airs on uh, on these social media things. So if you follow me on social media, uh, on on either Twitter, on uh, Facebook, or on uh, on YouTube. You are able to actually watch the shows, uh, but you can always listen to the shows uh, on the various media that uh, that they're that they are uh, broadcast on. 
And, and I appreciate everybody who tunes in and everybody who listens. So, um, so how, do we, how do we deal with the fact that we have Jew haters today and the Torah says that we have to remember Amalek and we have to, we have to, we have to destroy his name and destroy his memory. But there are Jew haters today that we are not fighting up against. Uh, for months, I've been covering the stories of Jews being attacked in broad daylight in New York City. I've been covering those stories for, for months and months and months. And the inaction of New York police authorities to, uh, to deal with the issue of Jews being attacked. And this has been going on for a very long time. Uh, to be honest, in the last little while, I haven't seen too many Jewish people being attacked. Uh, either the media has stopped covering it or it just hasn't been happening. And maybe that's a credit to the, uh, to the politicians of New York and the police department in New York who finally decided to take a little bit of action and save the Jewish people. But Purim should remind us that we're not safe anywhere. That when we feel comfortable in the diaspora, when we are living comfortably in the diaspora, we are not safe people. And that we should know and we should understand that living in the diaspora will, in fact, uh, create a situation where the Jews will feel complacent and we will feel that we have the ability to do whatever we want, to live how we want, to live in the freedom provided to us by the foreign governments, when in reality it's all an illusion. And we start realizing it's an illusion when, when we start getting restrictions. So in, in certain areas of the world, uh, in North America, uh, you have certain areas in North America which restrict Jews from buying homes in certain places, which restrict Jews, Jewish teachers and Jewish lawyers and Jewish politicians from wearing religious garb, so, uh, so a Jewish Lubavitcher would not be able to wear a Bekesha and, and a hat. A, a, Jewish, uh, a Jewish lawyer would not be able to wear a yarmulke. And there are areas in North America in the bastion of freedom of the world that prohibit Jews from doing these things. And we have to remember that our freedom and the freedom that we feel in the diaspora is a fleeting thing. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And if we, we could accept that, and if we could understand that, then we will know that the only solution is the waiting for Messiah to come, and the only solution is the defense of ourselves until Messiah comes. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Purim Special. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be back just after this. Oh, Esther, let's go save the Jews. Oh, Mordecai, let's go save the Jews. I'm a 
Hide the Jews must fast for three days. Esther goes to see King Ahasuerus without an appointment. Esther invites King Ahasuerus to a party with Haman attending. Meanwhile, Haman makes a 50-foot tree intended for Mordechai. At that first party, Esther invites Ahasuerus and Haman to a second party. This time, Esther tells Ahasuerus of a plot to kill her people. Ahasuerus asks, who is this wicked person who wants to kill the Jews? Esther answers, it is Haman, and he is standing right there. Later, Haman is hung on the same tree meant for Mordechai. At 1987, Schlockrock sings all about Purim in the song called... Howie Silberger, and this is the Howie Silberger Purim Special. Thank you so much for joining me. For those of you watching on Facebook and on Twitter and on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. It is always a pleasure to, to provide video and audio of this show. So I appreciate you watching, and I appreciate you taking part in the Howie Silberger experience on Twitter, on YouTube on Facebook, and of course, uh, on the, whatever streaming service you're listening to this show on. Thank you so much. Uh, what is Purim? Uh, this is a question that's asked me a lot, and I think it's a question that deserves to be answered. So, so let me try to tell you the story, at least briefly. It all began in ancient Persia in the 4th century BCE. Uh, the holy temple that had stood in Jerusalem was destroyed more than 50 years earlier. And the Jews were subjects of the mighty Persian Empire that extended over 127 lands. Three years after King Ahasuerus ascended to the Persian throne, when he felt secure in his new position, he celebrated by throwing a grand 180-day-long party for all his subjects. Following this extravagant gala, Ahasuerus hosted similar week-long parties for the residents of the capital city of Shushan, in the palace's women's quarter, Ahasuerus' wife, Queen Vashti, hosted her own party for the Shushanite womenfolk. 
On the seventh day of this party, Achashverosh's heart was merry with wine, and he commanded his wife Vashi to appear before all the parting men. He wanted to show him; she wanted to show them all of her exquisite beauty. Vashti balked at this request, and at the advice of his advisor, Memusham, Achashverosh ordered Vashti's execution. Now, when Achashverosh's wrath dissipated, when he when he finally calmed down, he was lonely for a wife. His servants suggested that he orchestrate a beauty pageant. Officers would be appointed in all the king's lands, and all the beautiful girls would be brought to Achashverosh. And the girl who would find favor in the king's eyes would be the new queen. The leader of the Jews at the time was a Shushanite resident named Mordechai. He had a cousin, Esther, who was orphaned as a young girl. Mordechai raised her and treated her as a daughter. Though she had no desire to be queen, Esther was forcibly taken to the king's harem to participate in the contest. While all the other contestants beautified themselves with perfumes and lotions, Esther did nothing. But God, God had his own plans. When Esther appeared before the king, he immediately liked her, and Esther became the new queen of Persia. But as per Mordechai's directive, Esther refused to divulge in her nationality, even to the king. So shortly after Esther became queen, Mordechai overheard two of the king's chambermaids discussing a plot to assassinate the king. Mordechai had them reported, and the traitors were hung. Meanwhile, Haman, one of Achashverosh's ministers, was promoted to the position of prime minister. Haman was a virulent Jew-hater. In fact, he was a descendant of the notorious anti-Jewish nation of Amalek. Immediately after his promotion, the king issued a decree ordering everyone to bow down whenever Haman appeared. Now, Haman would walk around with a large idol hanging from a chain around his neck. When Mordechai, a proud Jew, refused to bow down, Haman was infuriated. His resolve to take revenge against all the Jews and throw lots determined a lucky day which would implement his plan. The lot fell on the 13th day of the Hebrew month of Adar. Haman approached Achashverosh and offered him 10,000 silver talents in exchange for permission to exterminate the Jews. Achashverosh, who was no friend of the Jews either, told Haman, The money is yours to keep and the nation is yours to do as you please. Haman immediately sent proclamations to all the king's lands. These declarations, sealed with the royal signet ring, ordered the people to rise up against the Jews and kill them all, men, women, and children, on the following 13th of Adar. Mordechai became aware of the decree. He rent his garments and donned sackcloth. He sent a message to Esther, asking her to approach the king and beg him to spare her people. Esther responded that according to the rules, anyone who entered the king's presence unsummoned would be put to death unless the king extended to that person his golden scepter. And I, Esther said, had not been summoned by the king for 30 days already. Mordechai sent another message. Do not think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews by being in the king's palace. For it will mean that you remain silent at this time. Relief and salvation will come to the Jews from another source. And you and the house of your father will be lost. And who knows if it is not for such a time that you reach this royal position. Esther agreed to approach the king. But she asked Mordechai to gather all the Jews in Shushan and let them all fast for three days and nights. And after this fast, Esther would put her life in her hands and approach the king. Mordechai complied with Esther's request. He gathered the Jews of Shushan, especially the children, 22,000 of them, and they fasted, repented, and prayed to God. After the three days of fasting, Esther donned royal garb and entered Achashverosh's chamber. 
Immediately, the king extended his scepter. What is it? Achashverosh asked. What's your request? I would like to invite the king and Haman to a small feast I have prepared, Esther responded. So the king and Haman joined Esther for a wine feast. During the feast, the king again asked Esther whether she had anything to request. Yes, Esther responded. I would appreciate if tomorrow, again, the king and Haman would join me for a feast. And I will tell the king my request. Haman left the party happy and a proud man. Oh, the honor he was being accorded. But standing at the king's gate was Mordechai, who still refused to bow to Haman. And Haman was enraged. When he arrived home, his wife and wise advisors counseled him to erect gallows and then to go to the king and request permission to hang Mordechai. Haman excitedly went ahead and put up the gallows. Sleep eluded the king that night, so he asked his servants to read him from the royal chronicles. They complied with the king's orders. They read from the chronicles how Mordechai saved the king's life when the two of his chambermaids hatched a plot to kill him. Was he awarded for this fine act? The Cheshversh asked. No, he was not, the servants responded. At that moment, Haman entered the king's courtyard. His purpose? To ask the king permission to hang Mordechai before Haman could utter a word. Achashverosh addressed him. My Haman, in your estimation, what shall be done to a person who the king wishes to honor? Haman, who was certain that the king wished to honor him, responded, Bring royal garments and a royal horse, and let one of the king's nobles dress the man, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, So is done for the man whom the king wishes to honor. Great idea, Achashverosh responded. Now go get the garments and the horse and do so for Mordechai the Jew. Haman had no choice but to comply. On the next day, he went and honored Mordechai as the king had ordered, and then immediately rushed to join King Esther for the second feast. What is your request, a curious king, Achashverosh, asked Esther at the feast? If I have found favor in your eyes, O king, Esther pleaded, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me by my plea and the life of my people by my request. For my people and I have been sold to be annihilated, killed and destroyed. Esther then identified Haman as the evil person who wished to perpetrate this atrocity. The king was greatly angered. When he was then informed that Haman had built a gallow for Mordechai, he ordered that Haman be hanged on that very gallow. On that day, Haman's estate was given to Esther, and Mordechai was appointed the prime minister in Haman's stead. But Esther was far from satisfied. Haman was dead but his evil decree was still in effect. According to Persian law, once a king issues a decree, it cannot be rescinded. But if the king gave Mordechai and Esther permission, and they promptly wrote up a decree that countermanded Haman's edict, the decree granted the Jews permission to defend themselves against their enemies. And by this time, considering that all knew that the queen and the prime minister were both Jewish, no one would prevent the Jews from doing just that. And the Jews in Shushan were so happy, celebrations abounded. On the 13th day of Adar that year, the Jews throughout the Persian Empire mobilized and killed the enemies who had wanted to kill them. In Shushan, among the dead were Haman's ten sons. Esther asked the king's permission for the Jews in Shushan to have one more day to destroy their enemies, and the king acceded their wish. On that day, the 14th of Adar, the Jews worldwide celebrated, and the Jews of Shushan killed more of their enemies, and also hung Haman's sons. The Jews of Shushan then rested and celebrated on the 15th of Adar. Mordechai and Esther established a holiday to commemorate these amazing events. Jews worldwide celebrate on the 14th of Adar, while residents of walled cities like Shushan celebrate on the 15th of Adar. This holiday, called Purim, is the most joyous holiday in all of the Jewish calendar. So, here we have a case where Jews were in trouble. They were in massive trouble. 
they were going to be killed. They were going to be destroyed, annihilated. Shushan was going to be Judenraus, as they would say in Germany. And two Jews hatched a plan to save the Jewish people. And it worked, and they did. And I think, I think this is something that we should really take to heart. This is, this is a story that the people of, that people of the Jewish people should remember and should emulate. When Jew haters, uh, Jew haters are, are, are not hard to find right around the world. It's not hard to find people who hate the Jewish people. They are, they are abundant, unfortunately, abundant in the world. And if we don't take the lead of Mordechai and Esther, take the lead, and I'm going to go back to Hanukkah because Hanukkah and Purim are very similar stories. They're, they're a little different, but they're, they're very similar. If we don't take the lead of the Maccabees, we don't take a lead of Mordechai and Esther, and we don't stand and defend the Jewish people, stand and not allow Jew haters to win, stand and not allow universities, not allow public institutions to bar Jews from speaking on campus, not allow the Jewish people to be subjugated anywhere. And if we all believed that God is watching out for us and that God is helping us and guiding us to protect the Jewish people, we would be in a much better place today than we are. I like to talk about the miracle, uh, the miracles that we don't see. And the miracles that we don't see, the miracles that we don't promote, is the fact that the Jews won the Holocaust, that the Jews are still around. The, the Nazis aren't. The Jews are still around. The fact that the Jews beat the Persians. The fact that the Jews beat the ancient Greeks and the Romans. The fact that the Jews are still here while many nations have disappeared. And the fact that the Jews have a country today, a country they could call their own, and that is a miracle that we don't tout enough. Now, many people argue me it's not a miracle. I, I, I always, I, I've continuously said that the state of Israel is a miracle of the Jewish people that the Jewish people refuse to accept. It is absolutely amazing that more than half of the Jewish people have refused to accept the miracle of the state of Israel. Sad, if you really want to think about it. Really, really sad. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Purim Special. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we will, uh, we will end off the special with, uh, with, uh, with a look at some, of the, um, at some of the traditions of Purim and why we do these things. I'm Howie Silberger. We'll be right back. It's so hard to be a good Jew In a world where no one cares It's so hard to do the mitzvahs In a world where no one dares But if you learn the Torah Then you'll know just what to do You won't desert your people You'll be so proud that you're a Jew And you'll sing we believe in Hashem We believe in the Torah We believe in the sages of old Who gave us our Messiah Whenever they deny us our faith It just brings us together We believe in Hashem 
Hashem for now and forever. They said we wouldn't last long, that it was a part of fate. Kicked us out of many countries, tried to make us assimilate. They tried to break our spirits, but they'll never get their way. Up straight and tall and we'll never fall as long as we can say We believe in Hashem, we believe in the Torah We believe in the sages of old who gave us our Messiah Whenever they deny us our faith, it just puts us Yes, my friends, the day is near When Hashem will end this godless and put an end to all our fears And then the others will see who was wrong and who was right This day could be tomorrow if we don't give up the fight And we sing, we believe in Hashem, we believe in the Torah Whatever they deny us, our faith, it just brings us together. We believe in Hashem for now and forever. We believe in Hashem, we believe in the Torah. Welcome back to the Howie Silberger Purim Special. My name is Howie Silberger, and we're looking at Purim and trying to understand the holiday a little better than we did before, trying to understand the relevance of the holiday today. And uh, I wanted to go over some of the traditions of Purim. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about what, we, what do we do on Purim? What, what, is, what are our traditional, um, our traditional uh, values for Purim? So we, we, we discussed last segment that Purim was the holiday where we is one of the holidays where we celebrate uh, Jewish resistance to uh, to persecution, Jewish resistance to annihilation, Jewish survival, and and I think there should be another holiday created to celebrate Jewish survival of the Holocaust. I mean, we celebrated Jewish survival for the Assyrians, and we celebrated Jewish survival of the Persians, and there's no reason why we can't celebrate Jewish survival of the Nazis. Uh, the Nazis were just as bad as the Persians and the Syrians. In fact, they went even farther than they did by building death factories for the Jewish people. And in my opinion, they should be, we should be commemorating our survival of the Nazis the same way we commemorate our survival of everyone else. Uh, but that's my humble opinion. I know a lot of people disagree with me uh, on this particular topic, but that's, that's the way I think. So what do we do on Purim? 
So first thing we do is we eat something called hamantashen. Now, yes, you may hear you may hear the name Haman in the hamantashen, and and there are various reasons, various reasons given as to why Jews thousands of years ago made triangular uh, cookies that they eat. They're they're usually filled cookies, and they're triangular. And um, and there there have been various reasons on why Jews uh, created these cookies for the holiday Purim. One was uh, that they emulate the ears of Haman, and that uh, uh, a lot of people call them in Hebrew Osneim Haman, which means the ears of Haman, and um, and and the idea is that um, that Haman's ears were a weird shape, and so we we eat the shape of his ears to show our to show our dominance over him. Uh, another another uh, another reason given for these these cookies is that um, that Haman uh, the royal hats were 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 triangular. And Haman wore a royal hat, so this shows the Jewish dominance over Haman. And it's interesting because uh, the Jewish dominance over uh, over Haman is, is a central theme to, uh, to to eating these little cookies, and it's also the central theme to why Hasidim dress the way they dress, uh, which which most Hasidim don't even know the story of that. Uh, the reason Hasidim dress the way they dress, so when you see the Haredi people in the black in the black suits with the black hats and the or the fur hats. Uh, the reason they wear these clothing, and this is universal, is that um, in the 18th century, 17th and 18th century, this is the way nobility dressed. And Jews were not allowed to be noble. They weren't allowed to be nobility. And therefore, by not being allowed to be nobility, they, um, they decided that, uh, yes, uh, we will alter the noble dress, so it's slightly different than the dress than the, uh, the dressing that nobility wore, and we will wear it to mock the nobility. They're not letting us dress this way. They're not letting us be nobility. They're not letting us be rich people. Then we are going to mock the rich and mock the people who are in charge, and, and this is why they started wearing this this kind of uniform, and this is why the uniform continues as a tradition today. But uh, the original reason for the uniform was because they were mocking the nobility. They were mocking the rich people, mocking the people who didn't allow them to dress that way. Uh, eating Haman's ears or eating Haman's hat is the same concept. And it takes a lot of backbone to, to create a concept like this. It takes a lot of backbone to follow up on a concept like this. And something that Jews today lack is a backbone. Uh, Jewish community in general has no backbone. Uh, there are various Jews within the community that have backbone, but the community in general has no backbone. And, uh, and, and this is where the problems lie. The problems lie in the organized Jewish communities around the world don't want to fight back. So when you have organizations like BDS, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanction Movement, which is uh, really a veiled attempt to destroy Israel economically uh, from the inside because they couldn't destroy them militarily from the outside, so they want to destroy them economically from the inside. Uh, when you, when, it's not even veiled. It's, it's actually overt. Uh, when, you, when you have... Organizations like that, and a lack of response from the organized Jewish community, and these organizations get stronger and stronger as the Jews don't react to them. The organizations get stronger and stronger, and it gets to a point where they become dominant, especially on university campuses. So that's what we're seeing today. Uh, there, there have been various, various um, uh, flare-ups on university campuses 
where Jewish speakers were not allowed to speak. The most notorious one of them, of course, was at Concordia University in Montreal, when uh, then, uh, he was a foreign minister at the time, Benjamin Netanyahu was slated to speak at a Hillel event at Concordia University in Montreal in the, uh, in the what was it, the early 2000s? And uh, a riot ensued where uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage was done to the university. Plus, Netanyahu's speech was canceled. And Netanyahu says he didn't cancel the speech. The, uh, the, the police canceled the speech. Uh, and uh, he was not allowed or never invited back to speak on campus again. So, so these things happen. Uh, York University, just last week, had a, uh, had a, a Jewish speaker coming to speak and BDS people uh, screaming and yelling, trying to shout down the speaker. And there's no massive condemnations of these kind of events. Uh, every university across North America has an Israel Apartheid Week, and uh, the Jewish community the organized Jewish community, refuses to respond to it, saying, if we respond to it, we are giving it legitimacy, and we refuse to give it legitimacy. But if you don't respond to it, you are giving it legitimacy too, and that, that's the issue. Uh, a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, two Jewish students responded to an apartheid event by uh, entering the event with the Israeli flags and screaming, Am Yisrael Chai, the people of Israel live, and Palestine didn't ex- doesn't exist. And they, they disrupted the event for about 10 minutes until they were escorted out by security. And they were condemned by every Jewish organization in the city. Everybody condemned them, from, uh, from Hillel to, uh, Jew, to Jews for Israel to oh, you name it. All the campus organizations, the Jewish campus organizations, condemned them. And then the Federation condemned them. And then, uh, and then all the political branches of Federation condemned them. These poor boys were condemned for standing up for Israel, were condemned for showing their pride in their country. It's kind of sad. Condemned by Jews, Jewish organizations, Jewish organizations that pretend to be pro-Israel. The event that they had, um, that they had uh, disrupted, they didn't get the event canceled, but they disrupted the event. So the event that they had disruptive was, a, uh, was an event that was calling Israel a genocidal state and claiming that Israel committed genocide against the Palestinians' people. Kind of hard to commit genocide against a people that doesn't exist, but this is what the claim was. And they disrupted that event and were condemned for it. That is not in the tradition of Mordechai and Esther, not in the tradition of the Maccabees, not in the tradition of... Uh, of what we are supposed to do, of remembering Amalek and wiping out his memory. This is not in the tradition of Judaism at all. So as the diaspora Jewish communities uh, ebb away from Judaism and Jewish core Jewish values, we, as Jewish people, have to start pulling ourselves back there. As the assimilationists, and there are plenty of assimilationists out there, and you know, last time I used the word assimilationist on, on any of my shows, got me fired from my job. I got fired from my job for calling, uh, for calling people assimilationists. But the assimilationists that don't care about Jewish values, don't care about Judaism at all, those people, the Hellenists, who side with the Jew haters, those people should be condemned outright. And I lost my job condemning people who had done, uh, well, who had, who had done something that they shouldn't have done. 
And I lost my job for pointing it out and referring to them as part of the problem. But I'm fine with that because I speak the truth and I don't care. If speaking the truth is going to lose me a job in the Jewish community, which it did, if speaking the truth is going to stop me from getting a job in the Jewish community, which it has, then I'm willing to take that chance. I'm willing to take that risk and I'm willing to take the hit. Why? Because some of us in the community have to be Mordechai's. Some of us in the communities have to be Esther's. Some of us in the community have to stand up for what's right and stop being followers and start being leaders. If we choose to sit back on our laurels and allow assimilation to happen, if we choose to sit back on our laurels and allow our community to bow to their oppressors, then we are actively taking part in the destruction of the Jewish community. In fact, when Esther said, I don't want to go see the king, he didn't give me his scepter, and uh, I don't know if he's going to let me in, and I don't want to die. And Mordechai said, hey, listen, what's more important, your life or the life of the Jewish people? This is what we have to look at every single day of our lives. Is my little problem of not being able to get a job in the Jewish community because I'm an outspoken critic of the Jewish community and the way they, they, the way they deal with, with different things, if that's going to stop me from getting a job, then it's worth the effort. Then it's their loss. It's not my loss. It's their loss. And that's my attitude. That's the way I look at it all the time. It's their loss. I'm, I'm a good worker. I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I'm loyal. But if I, have to, um, if I have to compromise my Jewish values in order to appease them, then it's not worth it for me, and I don't want that job. And I've said it clearly on this show many times, that I am not going to compromise my values for anyone. And those who don't like it, too bad. But we should all be like that. We should all be standing up for our Jewish values, standing up for the Torah, standing up for the Jewish people, not allowing the assimilationists to destroy us, not allowing the Jew haters to destroy us, not allowing society to destroy us, and not allowing our children to assimilate into society. We should be teaching our children Jewish values and teaching our children how to respond to Jew haters, not to cower in a corner. We should not be teaching our children that the Palestinians and the Israelis have equal rights to the land. We should be teaching our children that this is our heritage, this is our, we are the indigenous people of the land, and by being the indigenous people means that we have a right to be there. And we don't need the world to tell us whether we have the right or we don't have the right to be there. We are the indigenous people of that land and we have the right to be there. This is what we have to tell our children. This is how we have to start behaving. I'm Howie Silberger. This has been the Howie Silberger Porn Special. Thank you so much for joining me. And I will see you again next week. Thank you so much. Have a great week.
shouted for everyone to hear We'd like to learn all there is to learn We'd like to know all there is to know We've got this feeling that is coming through real strong It's the start of something